We don't listen to each other. We don't. We don't consider the other person, their experience, or what they have to say. We're too sympathetically driven. My name is Justin Sinceri. I'm a licensed marriage and family therapist and your fellow polyvagal nerd, helping you understand and apply the science of connection to daily life. Welcome to the Polyvagal Podcast. If you're one of the super fans, stick around after the main topic. I've got two invitations for you on how you and I can help to change the world. Please put yourself first. This episode is going to go into listening skills that I think are applicable to any situation, including even with a partner or colleagues. But specifically, I'm thinking about when we don't agree on very divisive issues, race and privilege, gender, politics, you get the idea. If you're unable or unwilling to hold different viewpoints at the same time, please listen when you're ready. Do what you have to to get your eventual vagal activity going, your safe and social state. It's going to feel like curiosity and openness, calm and being in the moment. So right now, if you have sort of a shorter breath and you can feel your energy building up your motor, it might not be the right time. Come on back when you're ready. Of course, you're still welcome to listen. There's absolutely no chance that I can appease everyone, but I think these thoughts can apply to everyone. So the topic is listening when you do not agree. And we all know what this looks like. If, you're, if it's heated, if there's yelling, if there's capital letters involved <laughs> in text, uh, if there's name calling, if there's accusations, then there's probably zero listening going on from the other person. Or it might even be yourself as well. I would think like probably all of us can relate to this on some level, even away from these huge divisive issues. If you're in a relationship... I doubt your conversations with your partner are always peaceful or always at a point where you're really getting each other. If you're living in a family or if you come from a family or living with your family or even visit your family, I, you might know what I'm talking about. Just there's some things for some reason that where it's just something gets triggered and no one's listening to each other, voices are raised, and uh, basically you're talking in capital letters. But also, being a parent, if you're a parent, um, do you always feel listened to by your kids? Do your kids always feel listened to? But like, we can relate. We get this, right? So we all know what it feels like to not be listened to. If we're honest with ourselves, that we know what it feels like to not listen as well, to be on the other end of that, and to not listen to somebody else. So we may come into a possible discussion. I won't say a discussion because a lot of times what we see online is not a discussion, but it's just yelling or name calling. Not just online, but in in the real world also. So we come into these possible discussions where we have two people who want to talk, but we're already in a sympathetic state. And sometimes we go into these possible discussions and during the discussion, something triggers us. And sometimes we go into these discussions where there's a mild sympathetic state and we're sort of anxious and we're ready to be triggered, I guess, and to go into that defensive or even like attacking sort of place, that sympathetic fight place. So it comes from different places, but we all get there. This is the time of COVID. This is the time of massive civil unrest, Pro- peaceful protesting, rioting, Seattle got taken over or a handful of blocks of it did. All of us are in a sympathetic or even shut down place, right? So we're all, it's this, this is everywhere. We're already kind of there. And I think we all feel it on some level. Everyone witnessed a murder and this time, and we agreed on it. We agreed like this was wrong. Usually after these things, we, and it's sad to say this, but we look at um, a police killing and 
we examine the legitimacy of it through social media and not in a jury of our peers, but in our opinions on social media or in mainstream news or whatever. We examine the validity of someone's death and then we look at their character and it's all wrong, but whatever. But with, with the killing of George Floyd, we all saw and agreed. And I think for the first time, like we all said, this was not right at all. We didn't, this, we, we're not with you. We can't back the, this individual police officer. We cannot back your reasoning if there was any. So all of us were on the same page. All of us are shocked, had outrage, angered, were in horror or felt some pain or some grief. And yeah, some more than others. But we all felt like this is not right. We all felt some level of, well, that's the story of this. This is not right. It's the story, but we all have feelings. So there's those like huge things. But there's also another huge thing looming, which is in the United States, there's a presidential election coming up in a handful of months. And I am terrified. And I think you are too. Actually, I know you are too. I didn't even tell you why I'm terrified, but every single person listening to this thought of whatever they thought of. And they said, yeah, me too. So that's looming and it's all, all elections are big, but you know, this, this feels like a bigger one, right? Plus there's that there's that, but plus there's other issues that put us in a sympathetic state, like family issues, work, school, friends, relationships, past trauma. All of these things put us into a sympathetic state plus what's happening in the world and these huge things that are happening in the world. Plus a whole bunch of stuff I'm not listening, listing probably. And then we try and talk with each other online or we attempt to talk with each other and it doesn't go well, right? The point here is when we're in a sympathetic state, we don't listen very well. We don't talk very well either, but we don't, I'm going to focus on listening. We don't listen very well. Literally our ears attune to high noises and low noises. So our, our ears, this is a mammalian adaptation thing. We listen for danger sounds, very deep sounds like an avalanche or maybe a growl, very high sounds like a scream. When we're in a sympathetic flight fight state, we listen for danger sounds where we become more attuned for danger sounds and we lose access to the mammalian vocal prosody, that sing-songy kind of quality that we have to our voice, all that middle stuff. We lose access to that. So we literally do not listen very well. And I know this... This is true for me that I think I've shared this in the past that after I do a, after I did my first like presentation on the polyvagal theory at work, I was so amped up and I, and I got off work and I went to pick up my daughter who was talking to me. She was in the back seat, and I, I just couldn't hear her. I was that because that amped upness um, it lasted for quite a while and she was in the back seat talking to me about her day and I just I couldn't hear her even though I knew she was talking, I could not hear her. And I had just talked about why <laughs> about 20 minutes prior, but I was still really amped up. Also, when I, when I do presentations, I, like I'll, I'll record it and then review it later on. And when I am at a calmer, safe and social place where I'm at a you know, relaxed baseline and I'm just sort of like reviewing my work, I'll hear the question again and I'll realize that my answer wasn't quite what they asked. Like I didn't hear the question accurately in that moment. But afterwards, when I'm reviewing it, then I can realize, oh, I, I missed part of the question or the, or the intent of the question, and I heard something different. Anyhow, so we don't listen very well. It's not because of who we are, not because we're bad people. It's just literally our ears, our bodies are not attuned to listen to safety. 
we're listening for danger. When we're in a sympathetic state, we also interpret the neutral as dangerous. So if we have a flat tone of voice, that is interpreted as dangerous. If I talk like this, that's not going to feel very safe, right? When I talk in a flat voice, your sympathetic energy probably kicked up a little bit. But if I use my range of voice and go up and down and I ask a question, <laughs> the fact that I'm able to do that shows you that I'm a safe person or I'm a safe mammal. I'm a safe nervous system, right? But if I do the if I do the neutral thing where I lose my prosody, then your sympathetic state kicks on. It's no longer safe. Even though it's neutral, I'm not making low, like dangerous noises. I'm not yelling at you. It's just very flat. And that becomes dangerous. It's interpreted as dangerous. And if you're already in, it's experienced as danger. But when you're already in a sympathetic state and then you hear that, you definitely you definitely may hear that and then and then assign danger to me. Hope that makes sense. Uh, same thing applies, I think, to text on a screen. Text on a screen is neutral. There's no feeling there. It's just, you know, black and white, right? There's no sound to it. All we're left with are the words. And then it's up to us to interpret the meaning. We lose a lot, a lot when it comes to emails and comments on YouTube or Instagram. There's a lot that we don't pick up on. If you're in a sympathetic state and you read those black and white words, you are probably more likely to interpret that as unsafe. I was recently exchanging DMs with Karina Hayward. She was on the the uh, podcast a few episodes ago. She was talking about teaching and polyvagal theory. And we were DMing each other back and forth trying to set something up. And I, I realized that what I was reading may not have been accurate with what she was meaning. And so I, I said, hey, is it okay if I call you and hear your voice? Because I don't know if I'm understanding you correctly. And, and we did. And I heard her prosody. And it was a great conversation. But... Um, but I, I was aware that I was sympathetically driven enough just with all this stuff going on the past couple of weeks that my ability to understand her words in written text DM form, it was compromised. And I was not, I didn't want to assume something that she didn't mean. So we're obviously left with more likelihood of interpreting what is said in text as being danger, as being dangerous or an accusation or an attack. And sometimes it's flat out, yeah, it is an attack or an accusation. But other times, genuine curiosity and asking questions might look like it might look like an attack, or it might look, or it might feel like that, or it might feel like you're invalidating me when it really may not be. When we're in a sympathetic state, we are quicker to answer as well. So there, like when we're in a sympathetic state, there's an energy there. There's that flight fight energy. There's an energy there in what we're feeling, and when we talk with someone. If we're coming from that flight fight place, that discussion, that other person may feel like dangerous or like we are in danger. So our ability to reflect on what's being said to us is basically not there. So the words and the thoughts of others become dangerous and our ability to reflect on it, take it in, consider it, balance it with our own viewpoints, ask curious questions is not there. So we're very quick to answer back. Very quick to answer back. When we're in a sympathetic state, we're not willing to slow down and to consider what we may be missing. Again, the words and the thoughts of others became, become dangerous. 
So if your words and thoughts are dangerous, am I really going to slow down and like take you seriously if, if that's what, the way I'm perceiving it? No, of course not. I think we see this with the cancellation culture on college campuses where if, if people come on to speak or are, are lined up to speak, that the impulse is to shout them down, cancel, uh, to flood the crowd, to interrupt it, to scream, to whatever they do, just to cancel it. They're, they're in a very sympathetic state. And this has nothing to do with whether they're right or wrong or whether it's justified or not. But being in a very sympathetic state, it, it takes away your ability to say, well, maybe there's something here I'm missing or to hear some, another point of view or to hear beyond the headline of that point of view, that there maybe is a, a deeper reasoning or line of questioning or curiosity to what that person has to say beyond the headline. So yeah, we're not willing to slow down and consider what we may be missing. And I'm sure you agree that we don't know everything, do we? None of us do. There's always more pieces, I think, to, to, to these discussions, to these very divisive issues. There's all, this is complex stuff. It's not headline stuff. This is, these are discussions that are worthy of hour-long debates. This is not headline stuff, but that's the way we treat it because we're, we're very sympathetic. We want answers. We want things that rhyme. <laughs> Silence is violence. We want those three-word things that rhyme that we can easily use in a discussion against somebody else. We don't want to slow down and, and look at the wrinkles of privilege, Right? White supremacy, the, those two words, it sounds powerful. That sums up how we feel, right? This has nothing to do with whether it exists or not. But we take those, those phrases, those which have energy to them, and we use them rather than saying, well, what, well like, what really is in privilege? What, let's break this down. What does this mean? Is it really simply as, as easy as, as the way it's coming out? Or are there like, questions to be asked about this and of course of course there are we know that but how often do we slow down and really look at or look for those questions and those those genuine curious um, reflections on these big topics when we're in a sympathetic state we're reacting to what we perceive maybe not what's actually a threat the person that we disagree with becomes a threat but they might not actually be now are there actually racist people out there yeah of course everyone knows that are they actually a threat? Probably more likely. <laughs> yeah. But someone online who has questions or has data that disagrees with what you have, are they a threat? Or is there something there to explore? If we're in a sympathetic state, and I don't really answer to that. If we're in a sympathetic state, I can almost guarantee if you're in a flight fight place, that person is perceived as a threat rather than someone who has genuine questions and curiosity. Disagreement might be perceived as threat, but really it might just be disagreement. Not saying the same things, not having the same words. If I don't use the same words as you, that tells you you're not a part of my, my club or my tribe, or my thought process, my group, my identity. You're not part of this. So yeah, you might perceive me as a threat when, if you slow down and think about it, am I? Have I done anything to indicate that I'm a threat? And that's, that's me. You hear my voice. But how about the person online? Like, do you know this person? With what they have to ask or add or say or disagree with, are they actually a threat or do they just want clarity? Or do they just disagree with you and that's okay? Now, if they say I disagree with you 
and we should go, you know, harm X, Y, and Z. Obviously, that's, that's a lot different, isn't it? So not saying the same things or even being ambiguous as can be perceived as, th- as a threat to someone. Last episode where the open letter I gave, I told you I'm not going to take stances on anything. I- I want, I'm here for everybody. I can hold multiple viewpoints at the same time without judgment. So me being ambiguous, you may perceive that as a threat. So what I would invite you to do is reflect on all the time you spent with me and ask yourself, if there's actually any evidence of Justin being a threat. I'll leave that up to you. When you're in a sympathetic state, we need concrete answers and opinions. And again, this, I'll, let's bring this back to me as well. Like, if I'm not going to say who I vote for, and I leave that ambiguous, that might not sit well with you. I think most of the people don't care, and I'm glad. But when you're in a sympathetic state, and the election rolls around, and you need to know who's about what, and I'm telling you, I'm not going to, no, mind your own business, I'm not telling you who I'm voting for. You may look at me and say, this person, that that white male, threat. So now it's not just me as a person, but now it's, you'll see my race and my gender. And you'll assign threat to that. Am I actually a threat? I don't think so. <laughs> but yeah, when we're in sympathetic states, we need concrete answers and opinions. When we're fighting with our spouse, we want to know, like, what's the answer? Are you going to do this? Yes or no? Will you change? Yes or no? And when we are in less of a sympathetic state, I think we're okay with going a little bit slower, hearing each other out. So like, look at, why are we so attracted to these 24 hour news media machines? Well, because they, they appeal to our sympathetic state. They give you concrete answers, concrete opinions. They give you headlines. They give you data and they, they can all take the same data and twist it their own ways. But they, they appeal to your sympathetic state. Do they take the time to be curious and explore concepts or is it like bite-sized opinions? Is it uh, more of a debate or an argument? You can go on to, look, these complex issues around race and privilege, white supremacy, gender, there's a lot more information out there. Go on YouTube and look up uh, lectures and debates. People spend hours on this stuff. People spend hours on this stuff. They don't yell at each other back and forth on CNN or Fox News. People will stand there and lecture and teach for free for hours. So can your news media machine uh, do that? No, of course not. They, they need to get the next thing. They need to keep appealing to your sympathetic state and quite honestly to reinforce it as well. They feed into it. They encourage it. And it's toward, you know, why? Why would they do that? To keep your attention, of course. Because their advertisers want you to stay, of course. But all these outlets have their own political ends, don't they? It's not just about giving you information. They have, there's something they want out of you. So if they can appeal to your sympathetic state, to your fear, to your guilt, and whatever else is kind of like twisted up and bundled up in that flight fight energy, if they can appeal to that, they can get you to do something. Story follow state. When we're in a sympathetic state, we dig into our ideas further. It's like our ideas, if they're questioned, then who I am is questioned also because we tie ourselves to our thoughts. 
our thoughts are not just the words in our head or the ideas that we're currently holding or reflection of our culture or reflection of the best data that we have available. No, our thoughts become who we are as an individual and who we are as part of a group. So when we're in a sympathetic state, we dig into our ideas further, like we plant our feet in the ground even further. And we otherize those that disagree with us or might be ambiguous. We otherize them. Story follow state. The sympathetic state is first, plus whatever is in there, fear, guilt, shame. We take that mass of sympathetic chaos and we plant our feet firmly in the ground based on our ideas. And if people don't match up with that, then we otherize them. So if it's an other that disagrees, then our sympathetic state is justified. If it's an other, if it's someone who's less than human or someone who's a racist, as we call them, or whatever other isms we have, they really are a danger now. They like, it's them. They are a danger. They disagree with my thoughts, which means they disagree with me, which means they are a threat to me, to my survival. So they really are a danger. The discomfort that I feel, it's their fault. We otherize them. Your story of the other person, who they are, is going to match your sympathetic state. If you're in a sympathetic flight fight place with all the guilt and shame and all the other stuff, and someone disagrees with you online, you're not going to have a story of, eh, maybe they have something to add to this conversation. No, that, that story won't, won't match. But calling them a name will match your state. So me, I've been called, so far just from the podcast, I've been called fatphobic, a misogynist, I think that's it. And I'll, I'll, someone has said that I've uh, exerted my privilege incorrectly and that um, I'm the epitome of white supremacy or something like that. But I'll, I'll, yeah, I guess that's in there also. So is it because that's actually who I am or is it because that person needs me to be that way? Did the, those stories of who I am as fat phobic, misogynistic, or somehow actually no one's called me racist quite yet. I think it's coming though. So do those stories about me describe the reality of who I am or did it provide that person an other to explain what they were feeling? Now I will, um, I don't want to just dismiss it as like, Oh, it's your issue. Maybe I am that person that they're describing. Maybe I am. I, I don't, I don't think I am at all. But, you know, dear listener, I'll, I'll leave it up to you. How, is there any evidence so far that I am these, that this is me? I'll leave it up to you. These terms get thrown around a lot. Um, there are actually toxic people out there. There are actual sexist people out there. There are actual racist people. And as I listen to these experiences of basically non-white males uh, more and more and more, like this is some real stuff out Yeah. Like I always, we all, we know that we all know that, but there's some like overtly still racist stuff going on. Right. So there's people who deserve these labels who have earned the social shame that comes along with that. So when we hear these labels, is it a description of reality or is it an expression of the labelers state? And it could be both. It could, you know, 
maybe it's just the person saying stuff or maybe it actually is a reflection of reality. That the stories that come from a sympathetic state can act, they can absolutely be an accurate description of reality. Sometimes it's not. I think a lot of times it's not. Or it's incomplete. And I think what we see in the world is people who have a very high sympathetic state who dig into their ideas and say, I have the truth. I have an other. I have a villain. And they stick with it. And then they stop. And I think all of us, all of us are guilty of that. But if you stop, then your sympathetic state story is incomplete. There's always more to this stuff. There's a, there are a wide variety of thoughts on racism. A wide, wide, wide variety. People who say it's not an issue whatsoever. People who say it's the biggest issue in the world. People who say, yeah, it's out there, but I don't really care. These, these are black voices that I'm hearing saying these various wide range of thoughts on racism, systemic oppression, the history of racism in America, a wide range. And everyone has their historical anecdotes. Everyone has their data, their percentages. Everyone can back up what they say. Point is, there's a wide range. There's always more to take in. There's always something new to consider with this stuff. So even though we can agree, yeah, racism still exists. Do we agree on how far, how much, how severe it is? No, we don't all agree on that. And I have my opinions. And so do you. The question then is, are you and I in a sympathetic enough state to where we're no longer considering new information? Or do we have some curiosity about maybe there is more I need to learn about this? There is a lot of depth to all of this stuff. These are It's beyond simple concepts of privilege and systemic oppression. Those are big, big ideas, but the concept is fairly simple. The application of it, the answers to it, the understandings of it, very complex. So we have the surface layer, but there's lots of stuff underneath that. But we never get to that. You have to search for it. And that's what I've been doing. I'm in no, in no way an expert on this stuff whatsoever. But wow, my, my curiosity is more than peaked. I, I've re-listening to Martin Luther King. I'm reacquainting myself with Malcolm X. And, and what I'm hearing from them is not even close, especially with Malcolm X, to what I learned in school. It was, in school, it was like an either or. But really, they both have, I mean, these are this is like high powered intellectual thinkers. Like it's amazing. I've, I've learned about James Baldwin. I had never heard of him before. I've absolutely fallen in love with Toni Morrison. I learned about something called the white gaze, which I never heard about before. Actually, I'll play, let me, I'll let Tony speak for herself. Maybe I'm responding because I have had reviews in the past that have accused me of not writing about white people. I remember a review of Sula in which the reviewer said, this is all well and good, but one day she, meaning me, will have to face up to the real responsibilities and get mature and write about the real uh, confrontation for black people, which is white people. As though our lives have no meaning and no depth without the white gaze. And I've spent my entire writing life trying to make sure that the white gaze was not the dominant one in any of my books. And the people who helped me most arrive at that kind of language were African writers. Chenoa Chede, Bessie Head. Those writers who could assume the centrality of their race 
because they were Africans. And they didn't explain anything to white people. Those questions were incomprehensible to them. Those questions that I would have as a minority living in an all-white country like the United States. But when I read um, the poetry of Cesar, or the poetry of Senghor, or the novels particularly, Things Fall Apart was more important to me than anything. Only because there was a language, there was a posture, there were the parameters. I could step in now, and I didn't have to be consumed by or be concerned by the white gaze. That was the liberation for me. It has nothing to do with who reads the books. Everyone of any race, any gender, any country. But my sovereignty and my authority as a racialized person had to be struck immediately with the very first book. And it was strange because in this country, many books, particularly then, uh, 40s, 50s, you could feel the address of the narrator over my shoulder talking to somebody else, talking to somebody white. I could tell because they were explaining things that they didn't have to explain if they were talking to me. Hmm. It was that. So this is a, it's profound for me. So that I may be, you may be right, maybe I'm over-dramatizing the whole question, which was innocent enough, because the problem of being free to write the way you wish to, without this other racialized gaze, is a serious one for an African-American writer. And then I also listened to, and for some reason I love hearing Denzel Washington speak about this stuff. (laughs) There's this clip that really stuck in my mind, just like the white gaze one that really stuck to me for some reason. Denzel Washington has this um, piece on, and I'll play it right now, but it's the piece on uh, culture, the difference between culture and color that really, just for some reason, it just stuck to me like glue. So why did he need a uh, black director? Could a white director not have? It's not color. It's culture. S- explain the difference, because I think we're, we're Steven in a space Spielberg right now. did Schindler's List. Mm-hmm. Martin Scorsese did Goodfellas, right? Steven Spielberg could direct Goodfellas. Martin Scorsese probably could have done a good job with Schindler's List, but they're cultural differences. You know, I know, you know, we all know what. It is when a hot comb hits your hair on a Sunday morning, mm-hmm. what it smells like. Huh? That's a cultural difference, not just a color difference. Right. So it's the culture. You know about a hot comb? So now no, I, she don't know about no hot comb. You don't know nothing about it. See how everybody laughs? That's a cultural difference. Yeah. That's not a race difference. That's just that motion. That's all I got to say, right? Let's talk about how to listen, though. So there's a wide range of thoughts out there. That's just two clips in the general sphere of race and culture. There's a lot of stuff out there, and it's absolutely fascinating. There are some intellectual powerhouses out there, and it's fun. I'm, just, I'm genuinely enjoying it. So, so far, just to wrap it up, no one has all the answers. There's always more out there, but if you're in a sympathetic state, you're not going to be able to take it in. You may not even be willing to take it in. Now, that that's where this next part comes in, which is how to listen. To me, the first thing here is, do you care or not? Do you want to hear from other people or not? 
right? So that's the first thing. And that's just, that's up for you to answer. And if the answer is no, then I don't think everything I say after this is going to do a whole lot for you. But if there's a small piece of you that says, you know, I, I kind of am curious about what, you know, someone else says about the thing that I'm passionate about, the thing that I put my sympathetic energy into, I'm, I'm kind of curious about what other people have to say. And if, if you weren't curious at all, I don't think you'd be listening to me right now. So the fact that you're this far along tells me that you're open to some new concepts. And if not, you know, just wait, hold off, wait until you can hear and not just hear, but also reflect and sit with how you feel, you know, based on what you're hearing, which might be the opposite of what you currently think. The first thing to do if you can, and it's weird, I think it's the first thing, but it's also maybe the the hardest thing, which is to come from empathy. And this is your safety state. I'm talking about the difficulties of listening from a sympathetic state. So you can start from your sympathetic energy as long as you have enough of the safety state going to keep you anchored in the present moment and to keep you hooked on that voice that you're listening to. But coming from your empathy is is absolutely essential. And this is from your safety state. So you have to have enough access there to be able to continue to listen. And what when it comes to empathy, what really helps is to not listen for the argument, to not listen for the solution either, but to listen for the experience. And that's where I started. This, when it really hit me a couple of weeks ago, I have my ideas. I have what I think is more true that I, that I lean on, right? Or a couple of weeks that I was leaning on. So I'm just like you, I have that too. And when I decided to start over, I, I said, you know what? I told myself, it's, it's not going to help to argue. I'm going to start off by listening to people's experience. You know, even if if that person and I don't agree on the reality of these huge divisive issues, I can at least hear what their lived experience is. So I'm going to start there. As you're listening, ask yourself, is there a part of you that can relate? You know what I mean? Like, is there a part of what they're saying on an emotional level that can relate? And not just on what happened to them, because I, I, I've never had an overtly racist act against me. So I can't understand that lived experience. But when someone shares how they feel in that situation, how they felt otherized, how they felt subhuman. Yeah. There's a part of me that can relate to that. I think a lot of us might be able to release to relate to the feeling. It might not be as intense. It might not be the same exactly, but it's in the ballpark. So it's kind of like you're getting there. And as a therapist, I, I don't have the same experiences as my clients most likely. But that's what empathy is, that I can feel along with you in my own way. Not, not exactly what you feel, of course. So it's not, a, it's not an exact mirrored feeling, but I can kind of get in the ballpark and join you on that empathetic level. So is there a part of you that can relate? And look, you, you do care about other people. You're human, right? The polyvagal theory is all about the science of connection. So you do care about other people. And whether you realize it in your head or not, your biology cares about other people. Your biology is attracted, is pulled toward other people and wants to connect to other people. So it's not about the stories in your head. It's about what your body wants. And I don't care how racist someone is deep down in their biology. They still want to connect with other human beings. When you're listening to these other stories, just remember, this is another human being sharing their story, sharing their experience. And that takes a ton of bravery. And so off the bat, we need to respect that. We need to admire that. 
it takes bravery to do that. All right. So even if you don't agree with them on what they're saying, like as far as their antidote for the world or, or what their solution is, or even what their diagnosis of the problem is, respect the fact that they're coming from bravery, just straight up bravery. Respect that. Even if you don't like you, you can come from there, right? That's easy. You can do that. The next thing is to come from curiosity. If you can listen from empathy first, just because you care about another human being and you can listen to their lived experience, then come from curiosity and assume that you have something to learn. Be curious about what you don't know. Okay. Cause we don't, none of us knows it all. I don't care what gender you are, what race you are. Nobody has all the answers, period. That is a definite statement. We think we could agree on that. Nobody has all the answers. There's always more to learn, right? A new, like there's a new angle at least or a new experience or a new or, or a new wrinkle to the ideas that you and that other person maybe agree on. There's a new angle. There's something there. So come from curiosity. Assume you have something to learn. And what I had been doing even before the killing of George Floyd and before I took it up, you know, took it on myself to kind of like re-examine myself and the way I think about these things and whether or not I can hear people. Even before that, I was in a place where I was like, you know what, I'm going to assume that I know nothing about trauma and just start over from scratch. I, I, I like to do that do that here. All right. And there's, it might not feel safe. It might not feel safe to do that, to like relinquish what you think, you know, because you're, that's your sympathetic energy is going toward what you think, you know, and that what you think, you know, is bringing you a feeling of protection. Most likely that's my, my I might be wrong, but that, that's my assumption. So assume that you know nothing, start from scratch, and even though it might not feel safe, but you're not in danger. It's just, you know, read a book or watch a video on YouTube. I personally, I take for, I'm a very, very slow reader, so it doesn't work for me. So reading a blog, I can do that. Uh, watching a lecture, listening to someone's Instagram live stream, talking about their lived experience. That, that's all easy to do. We can do that. But if you ask me to read a book, it's going to take me months and I'm going to miss out on a ton of other stuff. So uh, that's not the way I learn necessarily or usually. So assume you know nothing, start from scratch in a way that feels, you know, good enough for you, I guess, right? A challenge, but you use the medium, the methodology that works for you best. Now, when, as you listen from curiosity, your brain is going to go to yes, but yes, but yes, but, and you might start otherizing that person. So you just have to turn that off. And I wish I had a better answer. I don't like just saying, well, just don't do that. Like, I know it's not that simple. I know. But really that's it is like at least notice when those rebuttals and that otherizing comes into your mind and just if you, as best you can, put it on pause or if you notice it, stop the learning, do some deep breathing, get back to your safety state and then, and then keep listening and remind yourself that even if the two of you don't agree, that's okay. It is okay to disagree. None of us are the same. It's okay to disagree. So no questioning, just learning right now. When you come from curiosity, just come from learning, okay? And come from uh, problem solving last. As you listen and take in the experiences and, and the teachings of other people, come from problem solving last. Assume that you do not have the answer and neither do they. And really assume nobody does. And I think this is a pretty safe assumption. Nobody has the answer. If we had the answer, I don't think we'd be having issues around race right now. If we had the answer, I don't think we'd be having these issues. 
You know what I mean? Like it, no one has the answer. People have an answer. No one has the answer. We all have something to learn from each other. Okay. I imagine, I imagine there are many answers and everyone needs something different. Some people's answer to racism is education. If we just teach differently that racism will go away, but people who are racist or people who are raised from parents who are racist and get those teachings, those educations, that teaching from their parents or from their circle, sitting down and saying, Hey, let me teach you something different. I don't think it goes very well. So it's an answer. Is it the answer for everybody? Of course not. Doesn't make sense, right? So each of us has something we can contribute to these issues. We all have something we can contribute to a larger much more multifaceted answer. And I I truly believe that all of us have something we can contribute in our own way. And each of us is going to have our own way of of addressing it. So I use this podcast and I attempt to address anyone listening. I don't speak to just white people, just black people, just this religion, just, 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 I don't do that. I'm speaking to everybody. Anybody who comes into this, I want them to get something from this. That's me. That's how I, that's how I address this thing. I, I, my goal is to treat every listener as having inherent value, no matter what thoughts they have in their head. Even if they're a racist, an actual racist, I'm going to treat people with out shame. I'm not, I don't want to villainize people. That's, that's me. That's how I, that's how I address this, you know, but public shame might have its place. And there are people out there that are doing that. And that's how they're, helping. So my goal is anyone, I I want the racist person and I want the anti-racist person to be able to listen to this and get something out of it. All right. I'm, I'm not talking about just that villain that you have in your head. I'm also talking about you too and me. I want all of us to get something out of this and I hope that I have succeeded in that. But that's me. That's how I am addressing these much bigger issues. But I also have, um, a couple other ideas on how we, how I can help to, to deal with some of these issues, but uh, polyvagal patrons, let me know what you thought of this episode and the members episode from this week in the Patreon comments. I'm really curious, but I have a, I have two invitations for you, dear listener on how you and I can contribute. This is the first invitation. Now they call what I have a platform, which I really, really don't like. I don't like calling this a platform because I'm not standing on you. I'm talking with you in my opinion. I'm not standing on. This is not an audience I stand on to get something else. This is, you you are not, you are not a platform, dear listener. You are a human being that I'm talking to since it is kind of one way, but the invitation to respond is, is there. So in my mind, it is two way, even though I don't hear from every single one. And that's okay. But you are not a platform. You are a human being. So calling this a platform, I don't like personally, but I'll use the analogy. Dear listener, will you give my audience will you give the other listeners a chance to hear your experience anonymously? Now, not all of us want our face or our voice or our name out there when it comes to this stuff, but all of us do have our opinions and our questions. Now I know that you in your complicated, beautiful self hear me and hear other quote unquote influencers and people with blue check marks next to their name. You hear us, I don't have a tech mark, but you get the idea. 
you hear us and you're like, yeah, what you say makes sense, but you don't speak for me. So I want to hear from you. I don't want to hear from the people with blue check marks. They have their, you have your quote unquote platform. I want to hear from the people who don't have a platform or an audience or another human being listening to them. I want to hear from people who read comments and don't contribute. They want to, but they don't. So I want to hear from you. Please um, share your thoughts, your opinions. If if you agree with something, but you're more complicated than the headline, I want to hear from you. Okay. So that that's that's just an invitation. You can do it through voice. You can do it through email. And I want to I want my audience to hear from you. I want to hear from a real. I have this impulse. You know, on YouTube they have like people that go on the street with a microphone, and, like interview people. I have that impulse, but I'm not gonna. I'm just not gonna do it. But I have that impulse. I don't want to. I don't want to hear from the authors. I don't want to hear from the influencers. I want to hear from real people. I want to go out and have a conversation with someone on a real level because that's that's where that, that's a lot. There's a lot of value there, in my opinion. And that's where my curiosity lies. That's me. So I'm not going to go out and interview people on the street. But I have you, and I want to invite you to be a part of this. And yes, I will be using my discretion on to, as to what I share. And invitation number two. Again, this is how you and I can change the world. There are some things that I cannot speak on, obviously. I lack the lived experience or the depth of understanding. So I'm inviting you to write on your expertise, and then I will meet you in the middle and offer my expertise on the polyvagal theory and mental health, or you know, as far as I can take it. So if you want to write on something that you're passionate about around like your identity or your experience that's polyvagal informed, I'm happy to proofread the polyvagal info, not, not your lived experience. I'm not here to proofread that. But if you say, hey, Justin, I wrote about what it's like to be black in America and I want to talk about shutdown and freeze and what it feels like to be viewed as less than human. But I want some clarification on just some of the terms. I, I want, I'll work with you. I want to help you with that. So that, that's my offering on how you and I can attempt to put some, some new thoughts out in the world, some new love, and, and to work together instead of me telling you what's up. So those are my two invitations. Um, I don't have a deadline for those, and I don't have a cutoff time either. Uh, at this point, they're just open invitations. We'll see. Hopefully someone takes me up on them. But thank you so much for listening. I hope that you've gotten something out of this i hope you're able to hear somebody that disagrees with you a little bit better or at least be open to listening or at least maybe stop villainizing everyone that disagrees with you some people might deserve the villainization (laughs) but not everyone does maybe people just disagree with you so i hope that you've broadened your capacity for listening i know i'm working on it for myself still okay I'm, I'm with you. I'm with you. So that got my two invitations. Thank you for listening. I appreciate you. Thank you.